Now more from Hong Kong's top story. This year we are partnering with Hong Kong Free Press and Pen Hong Kong to run this annual short story competition and we're accepting entries right now. Over the next few weeks, you can hear more of the winning pieces from 2016. The story this evening comes from Sonia Leung, the second prize winner in the adult category. It's called Diamond Hill and is read by Muriel Hoffman. My parents had an arranged marriage. Father fell fervently in love with mother at first sight, but his love was never reciprocated. Growing up, mother lavished most of her love on my elder brother and treated him like the man in her life. It was partly due to gender preference, but more so because of her discontent with father. It was her way of telling him that he could never be as close to her as their son, elder sister tried to avoid the chaos of our family by staying away whenever she could. Younger sister was the youngest and loveliest, so she could get away with anything. As for me, I was a shadow in front mother. It was as if she had to direct her antagonism, her disastrous relationship with my father, her stress at work, and of raising a relatively big family against someone, and that one had to be me. Being a dark-skinned, super-sensitive, and most father-like daughter, I became her target. One day, Mother came home from work and began cooking. I was in the upper bunk bed doing my homework. Directly underneath me was Brother, watching TV. Mother started talking to him. You know, son, they think I'm stupid. Uh, why? I could barely hear Brother's mumbling over the background noise of the TV. Putting down my homework, I peeked at them from my bunk. This morning, our assembly lead asked me if I knew how to write my name. She sounded like she was about to cry, then continued. If they would only know I was a teacher who had taught Chinese to hundreds of students. She was crying, I knew, since the hot oil on the walk in front of her was sizzling from meeting her teardrops. This violent sizzle was followed by the guang-guang noises of the spatula striking the walk. I hurried down from my bunk and asked, Ma, are you okay? Can I help you with anything? You go away, she brandished the spatula and shouted. I froze. Brother gave me a quick look and a smirk. His eyes said, Who do you think you are? He walked towards the kitchen, stood on the second step, and faced the side of Mother who was inside the kitchen. There was no space for him to go in. He stretched his hand, reached out to the dish on the stove, picked up a slice of pork and slid it into his mouth. I drooled. Mother calmed herself. She turned to him and said, Oh, son, you must be very hungry now. I'll finish cooking soon. Mother talked to brother as if I were non-existent. I was hungry too, ravenous in fact. Pressing my lips together, I shut my eyes for a long minute to prevent tears from coming out. But they stung behind my eyelids and formed a hard, painful lump in the back of my throat. 
A feeling of worthlessness gathered its power and seized my stomach. It hastened upward into my lungs and heart, and it ran further up into my brain and embedded itself there for good. I wanted to scream, but found neither strength nor voice to fight. In 1984, my parents, a doctor father and a teacher mother, migrated to Hong Kong with my two elder siblings. Two years later, when I was 12, the Chinese government permitted my younger sister and me to reunite with my family in Hong Kong. My parents knew they would not obtain those same jobs in China. They were fully aware that Hong Kong was a British colony which would not honor their professional qualifications, but they still chose to come, mostly for financial reasons. As China was going through a major economic reform, the money that my parents made with their respective government positions was much less than their friends who were entrepreneurs. And then there was this problem that our whole family was located in the poor mountainous prefecture of Datian, which literally meant a big paddy field. My parents feared that our Huko household register would be permanently trapped there. Relocating to Hong Kong was our golden way out. But unlike the commercial world, once you relinquished your job with a communist government, there was no return. As factory workers, my parents' monthly salary was 1,000 Hong Kong dollars each. This was 25 times greater than their salaries as a doctor and a teacher in China. The cost of living was much higher in Hong Kong. Still, the surplus was significant. The economic gain helped my parents to compensate the loss of their high social status in this city. With the financial superiority, they could visit our hometown with sumptuous face that they still held the lead over their siblings and friends. However, the meager income that my parents made in Hong Kong meant they could only afford to rent a small place for the six of us. They found a subdivided hut in a slum. The area was ironically called Diamond Hill. The half-hut we rented had an old rusty iron gate with peeling claret paint on the ground floor for entry. Two steps led down from the gate into the only room. There were two tarnished iron bunk beds, a brown wooden closet, a gloomy-looking bedside table with a mirror on top, and a weary, bulky TV set. Besides the furniture, our living and dining area had the width of about a person with open arms. We dined with a folding table and chairs, and put them away after each meal. We watched TV, did homework, reading, in our respective beds. Within the room, next to the gate, another set of two steps led to a dark corner. This corner was beneath the steep staircase of the other half-hut renter. The corner of our kitchen and bathroom. The kitchen had a stove and a sink next to it. The bathroom was a narrow strip with a squat toilet. We stood on its sides to take a shower. My father's defense mechanism was to retreat into himself. He didn't mention anything about work. In fact, he seldom spoke at home. He only shouted when he was drunk. Like a time bomb, he could go off any time. When he came home late from overtime and ate by himself, 
he would sit next to the table and take a few drinks. I stayed in my upper bunk bed and suppressed my urge to go to the toilet. Visiting toilet meant that I had to squeeze through the edge of the table where he was sitting. The attention I would attract, or the trouble I might cause him, terrified me. But the more I stifled the impulse, the more urgent, frequent it became. I despised myself. During Father's weekly day off, he would go to the cinema most of the time. He would buy a $10 ticket that allowed him to watch movies all day. The movies ranged from crime to pornography, from Western to Eastern. It didn't matter, so long as it could keep him away from reality. His unrequited love for my mother, his denigrating factory work, his family burdens, he devoured it. And that was what he did on his days off, week after week, spending all day alone inside a dark cinema watching movies. And then one day, he discovered the exhilaration of horse racing and started to pay plenty of attention to the racing section of the newspaper. He studied the horses like he had once studied the characters in great novels when he was young. He kept sharp pencils by the bedside table and made enthusiastic, extensive notes on the paper about horses, their conditions, winning and losing records. Looking at his scribbles, they reminded me of some comments he wrote in his diary after he read those novels. Except now, the scribbles were figures mainly. He gave up on words, gave up on his intellectual self. He became an excessive smoker, drinker, and gambler. When he gambled, he second-guessed himself. He bid on many different horses in one race and often lost. And he lost big. When he won, he won small because of his thin betting. But like many gamblers, the small winning was enough to keep my father hopeful. Father was very proud of his winnings. When he won, he would come home smiling. Since this happened rarely, I felt awkward when he smiled. I was not sure whether I should smile with him or rather weep because finally something made my father happy. And on those special occasions, he might bring home with him a white plastic bag that had a polystyrene box with siu mei, Chinese barbecue meat in it. Sometimes, if he won a bit more than usual, and if it was the right season, he might even come home with a bigger black plastic bag that had fresh Shanghai hairy crabs in it. He was very pleased with himself and liked to share with us by Gasung adding a dish to our dinner. Drama used to happen when mother was cooking. It was an early winter evening. I was in my upper bunk bed reading or daydreaming. Brother was sitting in the living area playing Game Boy. Guang! The rusty old gate was opened. Father sprinted down the steps and leapt into the room. In an uncharacteristically high-pitched voice, he told mother, Wailan, look what I've bought for all of us. It's sweet, tasty crab. We can all enjoy it tonight. Like a little boy, he raised high of a bag of live crabs. I could hear the slow, vague wavering of their claws inside the bag. Father had a broad grin on his face. His eyes were twinkling, eagerly anticipating Mother's praise. Neither giving a slightest glimpse to him, nor to the bag of crabs, she replied, Yeah, it's your favorite food. You're sure to have a fine feast. 
Her words might as well have been a bucket of ice water poured violently over him. His face turned green. He froze for a moment or two. Then he ascended a step towards the kitchen, chucked the bag of expensive crabs into the small sink next to Mother's left elbow. He put down his other bag, took out a pack of Marlboro Red and a lighter, and headed back out the gate. Once he disappeared behind the gate, Mother gave an exaggerated loud sigh. She then winked at Brother and signaled him to come closer to her. In a quiet and scornful voice, she said, Huh, your father is such a cranky creature, I can't even joke with him a little. <laughs> she and Brother shared a short, derisive laugh. I rushed down from my bed, pretending to search for something inside the closet, but I raised my head and gazed at the gate time and again. Father's shoulders were heaving in anguish. He faced a malodorous draining ditch and dragged hard on his cigarette. He had no place to go, no friend to talk to. He didn't drink outside because he didn't want to get drunk and become a laughingstock to others. Father finished his cigarette and immediately started another one. His shoulders stopped heaving. He put his left hand into his trousers pocket and leaned slightly on the edge of a short, cracking gray wall next to the drainage ditch. The grayness of the wall had largely turned dirty black, damp. Green mold grew over its dank expanse. The height of the wall was only up to father's shoulders, and then it looked as though he didn't know where to put his head or, or what to do with it. He tilted it to the left and then right and then left again from time to time. I wished to sit on top of that wall and let his head pillow on my lap. Instead, I turned and clambered back up to my bed. <laughs>